whichever it might be. It's good to see each of you tonight. I'm glad that you're here on a Wednesday night. And I do want to say thank you, Pastor Jonathan, leading us in worship. We're always grateful. And um, praise the Lord. Hey, let me mention just a couple of things uh, in the form of just some announcements, some news perhaps coming your way. Uh, you know a little bit about our upcoming schedule uh, uh, change in just a couple of weeks, not this Sunday, but the next Sunday. Uh, we'll have one 11 o'clock service. Uh, Sunday school will be as regularly scheduled, and then just one combined uh, service at 11 o'clock on the 26th. And so do just make a note of that. And so it'll be uh, shoulder to shoulder. And so I, I mentioned Sunday, we might have to issue the SOS at the, at the beginning of the service, you know, scoot over some and just fill in from the middle of the, the pew all the way to the end. I know how y'all Baptists are. You get in there and you get your favorite spot and the rest of us have to crawl over you to get to ours. And so, uh, uh, so we fill in from the middle to the, to the edge and that'll be good. And then uh, we'll do the same thing on Christmas Eve and then, of course, uh, New Year's Eve. And all that should be in your, uh, your publication, email, and online, and, and that kind of thing. You know, it's hard to believe that we're just one week away from Thanksgiving, isn't it? Uh, just one week out, one week from tomorrow. And so we won't meet next Wednesday night for our, our midweek uh, time of worship, prayer, study. Uh, but we will reconvene on November 29th which ought to be a very important day in your memory as a member of Green Street because November 29th just so happens to be, happens to be the birthday of our church. November 29th is, uh, I believe it was November 29th, 1905, if I'm not mistaken, when uh, Green Street... Yeah, it's just a, s- a simple Sunday school mission. Uh, uh, and, and now, all these years later... The Lord still has his hand on us, and we're grateful for that, aren't we? And so praise the Lord. Lives that have been impacted and changed down through the years. And so we're so thankful. Well, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and take it and turn to uh, just the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. I want to pick back up in just this uh, series of studies that we've given the title, Imago Dei, which is sort of a Latin expression that means image of God. And so over the past few Wednesday nights, we've considered what is meant by this particular expression, and and more importantly, the doctrinal truth um, that's associated with our understanding of being made in God's image, and how that really impacts us in the area of our humanity, brings a sense of value and purpose to our lives as those who've been created in the image of God. And really, it gives insight into all that's going on in our culture around us with so many of the issues and topics that dominate our conversation. Uh, Case in point, the last couple of Wednesday nights, we've dealt with the subject of transgenderism and how really an understanding of the Imago Dei helps uh, guide us to an understanding of what gender means and what the Bible teaches concerning gender, and then how you and I might be able to interact with an unbelieving world around us, and uh, perhaps even have conversations with those in our families that may be operating from a different worldview uh, than you and I. I want to switch gears tonight and move from the subject of transgenderism to the subject of technology. 
And, and in particular, I want to uh, talk a little bit about the image of God and what that means with reference to artificial intelligence and technology and our use of technology and that kind of thing. Now, you know that that is something that a lot of folks are talking about. And people say, well, what should really be a healthy, robust uh, Christian understanding of, of, of artificial intelligence and really all of technology uh, for that matter? Because technology is one of those uh, subjects that's wide-ranging and it really affects all of us. You know, technology has gone into uh, putting this service together tonight. If you think about it, we've made use of technology. I've got something on a screen behind me and, and you've got digital means perhaps in front of you. You know, thank God for the technology that's went into the construction of this building that we're in and the wiring and the electricity and all of that. Things that we just take for granted on a daily basis, but in years and generations gone by, there have had to be pioneers in these particular areas. And so, to be specific, I want us to really consider tonight how should our understanding of the image of God in man, as we see it taught in the pages of God's Word, how should this really uh, influence our approach to technology, uh, the use of technology, and, and its ever-changing reach into our lives? Uh, again, issues like artificial intelligence. Um, along these lines are ethical considerations with you know, controversial reproductive technologies. Um, Increased reliance upon digital systems. All of these sort of represent hot-button, hot-topic issues that uh, I really believe you and I should consider and look at through the lens of a biblical worldview. And so people ask the question nowadays, will man one day be replaced by a machine? Now, if you think that sounds far-fetched, if it sounds like something from the Terminator or something like that, more so than our times, think again. Because some of the world's leading scientists, uh, they are asking these very questions, even suggesting that humanity itself may one day be changed by technology. Let me read a quote to you from a leading astronomer and scientist in the UK, Sir Martin Rees, who said this, we can have zero confidence that the dominant intelligences a few centuries from now. Now, again, here's someone who's really optimistic as far as where all of this is headed. I'm looking for Jesus to come back in my lifetime. I don't know about you. But he's saying a few centuries from now, uh, we can have zero confidence that the dominant intelligences will have any emotional resonance with us, even though they may have a basic understanding of how we behave. Abstract thinking by biological brains has underpinned the emergence of all culture and science. Now listen to this. But this activity, spanning tens of millennia at most, will be a brief precursor to the more powerful intellects of the inorganic post-human age. So in the far future, it won't be the minds of humans, but those of machines that will most fully understand the cosmos. Leading scientists in the UK. Many of you will remember a TV show from um, just a few decades back, the show called Knight Rider. One of my favorite shows when I was a kid. It was incredibly cool. 
And the big star of the show, all due respect to David Hasselhoff, he was not the big star of the show as far as I was concerned. It was the car. Do you remember the car, the name of the car? Kit. Uh, it stood for Knight Industries 2000. And so basically, Kit was just this intelligent, self-aware supercomputer packaged in a sleek Trans Am. And man, was it cool. I mean, the driver even had a watch in which the, the car's owner, Michael Knight, he could talk to the car via his watch. And you thought, how cool. That, that'll never be reality, right? I thought about how funny this was the other day. I was coming down the interstate. I'd had a speaking engagement at a church up in Hendersonville week before last. And uh, I was driving down the interstate. I had barely veered to the right when, when my tire must have, you know, just kind of barely crossed the, the white line right before you get to the rumble strip on the interstate. And, and suddenly my Nissan flashed this message on the console that said, or asked a question, does the driver need a break? <laughs> With a little digital picture of a coffee cup. I kid you not. And, and I thought, man, we're all, we're all riding around in kit nowadays. You know, in 2023, we've got a watch that we can talk to. We can send messages on. Uh, take your blood pressure, count your daily steps, <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. We're even on the road with self-driving cars that use AI and satellite technology. And, and as scary as that sounds... The digital revolution, folks, it, it's increasing at just a rapid pace, is it not? And so it's amazing to think that the smartphone that you perhaps have in your pocket, there's more technology in that. It's more powerful than the computers that were used to send men to the moon in the 1960s. It's, it's remarkable. The iPhone, I read, it's a million times faster than the first uh, uh, personal computer when it was introduced. You add to that the consideration that social media has really made the world a, a smaller place and the rapid rate with which we can communicate with people literally around the globe, all of this has impacted and changed the way that we live. The news, it comes to you now almost instantly as it's happening. Pastors now have to compete when they're preaching with, well, <laughs> Not to offend, but dings and swooshes and alarms and everything else. That a, a, so many other pieces of information that are coming into your minds via technology, even as we have this session together tonight. We're living in a remarkable age, aren't we? We really are. And so we would really be foolish if we didn't think that somehow our Christianity and the biblical worldview that you and I are to possess really is to view the way that we use technology and understand technology and use it uh, in our own lives, okay? So just by way of introduction tonight, all of us can agree that technology is one of those things that's made our lives more convenient. I, I've heard the statement, laziness is the father of all invention. And you think about the gadgets and tools that you know, have been invented, usually behind that invention was somebody that probably didn't want to work in a particular way that they had been working. And so in that respect, technology has really made our lives that much more convenient. And I do think that that's something that we can be grateful for. 
And so I know there are a lot of considerations and questions that people have with technology, especially artificial intelligence and that kind of thing. Let me just go ahead and tell you at the outset tonight, I'm a general optimist when it comes to technology. I think that it's something that we can use for the glory of God and for the greater good of, of our fellow man. That's not to say that I'm sort of a blind enthusiast when it comes to technology. Neither should you be. Because all of us should ask questions and think, okay, how does my Christian understanding of the world impact the way that I use this technology and, 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 and again, make use of it in my own individual life? And so the issue then, it's not so much technology itself, but what we do with it, right? Um, and people kind of shake out in a couple of different camps when it comes to technology, some people are optimistic. They see any and all forms of technology as sort of being progressive. And, and then there are those who say that technology is really the bane of our existence and it's destroying us all. Even within the church, you'll discover that there are a variety of opinions about this issue. Some say, well, we've got to stop the advancement of technology. We need to scale back. We need to go back to the way things used to be. Well, I'm not sure any of us want to go back to the way things used to be in a lot of cases. Uh, none of us question the ethics of indoor plumbing, <laughs> right? Um, none of us rely on getting messages out to someone else by carrier pigeon. Uh, nor do any of us want to go back to the days of horse and buggy for travel. So in that respect, all of us would say, yeah, technology has been beneficial and useful. And so the way that you respond to this, people kind of shake out in a couple of different categories. There are those who sort of view technology with this sort of dystopian view and see, well, this is just headed to the end of the world. Through technology, man's going to destroy the planet. And you hear people kind of making that kind of argument nowadays. And then on the other hand, you've got some people who are totally utopian who think that man is going to save himself through the use of technology. And so you've got both of these extremes, and, and we as Bible-believing Christians, we don't shake out on either extreme, because we understand that there's a sovereign God who is upholding all things by His sovereign word of power, our lives and our times, and all of the inventions that man has come up with. Do you know that none of that has been beyond the sovereign control and the mind of God Himself? And so our understanding then of the image of God, where does man get his creative ability and capacity? It comes to man uh, not because this is something that we've done on our own, but it's the way that God himself has created us with this wonderful capacity uh, to be able to take what God himself has spoken into existence, and then we can take that and take the very means with which God has given us, and we can use that to exercise dominion. And that's what God intends for humanity to do per Genesis 1 and 2. But the issue, however, we live in a Genesis 3 world, a fallen world, to where now there are very real dangers associated with certain technology use. And, and you and I need to be aware of that. Even in our own lives, our own sinful inclination can take the very good things that God has given to us and we can twist those, manipulate those, and use those to try to advance our own selfish, self-centered purposes. And so all of this has to do with a biblical worldview 
uh, of technology. We need to see both of those extremes through a biblical lens, biblical wisdom that sees technology not as a villain, but neither as man's savior. So where's the issue? Well, the issue is my heart. What's the solution? Well, the solution is Jesus Christ and his gospel. And so that's the way that we're, we're looking at this, this issue. All right, so you might could say that people can respond to technology in three ways, even within the church. All right, uh, way number one, enthusiastic embrace. Where you perhaps go after the latest and greatest technology, maybe even encouraging your kids and grandkids to, with reckless abandon, enthusiastic embrace. Sign up for the latest social media fad. Participate in the latest social media craze. You're embracing all of that with enthusiasm. I'm not so sure that's the best response that we Christians are to have. On the other hand, there are those who view technology with strict separation. These are the people who are ready to just kind of check out and go off the grid. <laughs> They're ready to move into their tiny house somewhere on the backside of a mountain and just say, I'm, all right, stop the world, I'll want off. Okay? We would say that the Amish tend to, you know, sort of view the world and technology and all that as really just being a distraction as far as the Christian faith is concerned. And so they would say strict separation, that's the way to go. I'm not so sure that that's the best approach either. And so you say, well, preacher, what's, what, what approach should we look at? Well, what about discipline discernment? How about that? Biblical discipline discernment. And I think that applies to every issue in life, doesn't it? We need to think with biblical discernment. Spirit-led, God-dependent discernment where we trust the Holy Spirit and we trust the Holy Scriptures to help guide us as far as how now shall we live. Because the Bible has a lot to say about technology. Now, you may not recognize that. You won't find algorithm mentioned in the pages of scripture you won't see the word artificial intelligence mentioned anywhere in scripture for that matter but the bible has a lot to say about technology and the way that it's used both in the good and in the negative sense okay and so again remember what the apostle paul says to the church at rome in romans chapter 12 don't be conformed to this world in other words, don't just go along with the world on, on the issues of life and just enthusiastically buy into everything that the world is selling. No, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that by testing you can discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable and perfect. So Paul is saying we need spiritual discernment. That's true for life. It's true for the use of technology. All right, so... Um, a few things to keep in mind here. Let's talk about the advent of technology use. And this is where I want you to just sort of uh, open your Bible to the early chapters of Genesis with me. Because to understand this issue, I think we need to go back further in time than just yesterday. All right, there may be a lot of new technology that's out there and things that perhaps you've never heard of before, but technology itself and the use of technology. It goes back much further than yesterday or the last century for that matter or the Industrial Revolution. It goes all the way back to the earliest days of, of civilization, back to the beginning itself. And so when we refer to the history of humanity, you think about it, 
in a lot of ways, that's also the story of technology. Because you see man using means by which he manipulates his environment so as to make his life somewhat more convenient. Again, it reflects the creative capacity that he's been designed with in the Imago Dei. God is the creator. He's made us in his image. Therefore, we are creative. Now think about just the, the creativity that's represented in this room, for example. I think about the artistic nature that some of you have, the, the ability that some of you have uh, to be able to, to, to play musical instruments, to draw, to build things with your hands. I've always been somewhat envious of those who just were really good with, with, with making things out of wood and, 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 and building things. and It's just, it fascinates me. Where does that come from? You say, well, I learned it early on in life. I learned it from my dad or my grandpa or that kind of... No, I'll tell you, God gave you that capacity and blessed you with that creative ability. And so in that way, you are reflective of your maker. Now, the difference between you and me and our maker is when God creates, it's ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. So that God doesn't take what was already there and existent and somehow manipulate it in, in order to bring about creation... No, Genesis says that God creates ex nihilo, and what that means is he creates everything out of nothing. So that the world and the universe and the material cosmos and all of that has been spoken into existence by our sovereign creator. Now, you can create things, and you're a creative person, but you can only take what God himself has given you and then do something with it. There's a real difference there. So man can't strut too much and tout his own creative intellect and ability because the very best that you can do is take what God has given to you and then put it to use in some way. Now because of sin, those creative capacities are still there, although even our own creative ability has been uh, affected by sin and the fall so that now what man does is he takes what God has given him and, and he does something with it and then he makes an idol for himself and bows down and worships what he tends to create. By the way, you think about this. Everything in this room and everything before you and everything in your possession, did you know it all came out of just elements that God had created and designed within the very fabric of, of the, the, the earth? You think about manufacturing and iron smelting and all of that, and the technology of all of that, and you think carpentry and woodworking. Even these little objects that, that, you, that have glass and uh, aluminum or whatever else they're made of, iron, all of that comes right from the earth. So that there's nothing that man himself has, has, has created ex nihilo. He's, he's taken what God has put in the earth, and then he's taken the creative ability and capacity that God has created him with, and then he's been able to take and form and fashion certain things and to come up with various technologies and that kind of thing. And so it's really remarkable. How would anybody believe that all of this just came from nothing? Where some of the world's leading thinkers are, are saying, well, we're going to get to where one of these days technology is just going to be the next step as far as evolution is concerned, and we've, man's been able to create all of these things, and yet they'll be the very ones to deny the creator himself, to where they, 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 
they magnify and they lift up technology and what man creates, and yet they're blind to their own creation in the image of God and would deny the one who gave them life. That just goes to show you how sin blinds us to divine realities. And so the difference between you and me is those who are in Christ, we're able to say, you know what? Where does all of these capacities come from? It comes from a good God who's made us uniquely in his image. So humanity then reflects the creator in both our creative capacity and ability. Again, Genesis 1 and 2 uh, shows that. Now, I want you to look at Genesis 4 for just a moment. Because if you look at Genesis chapter 4, of course you've got the story of Cain and Abel, but toward the end of Genesis chapter 4, you'll discover that apart from the genealogical record, there are certain individuals who were mentioned that put their creative abilities to use. And again, this is post-fall here. This is, this is despite human sin here. Uh, for instance, you have in verse 20 of Genesis 4, it refers to Jabel, who was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock, which is to simply say he pioneered shepherding and nomadic living. The very next verse says his brother's name was Jubal, He was the father of all of those who play the lyre and pipe. Which is to say, he put his creative abilities to use and was a real pioneer in the technological development of musical instruments. Verse 22, Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. So he was a blacksmith of sorts, and he really pioneered in the development of iron tools and implements. Now, now compare this to the, the, the evolutionary narrative that you hear that basically says that mankind evolved from primitive life forms and, you know, was just really a, a knuckle-dragging caveman for a large part of his existence until suddenly he developed the means and intellect to be able to do something with his environment. <laughs> Maybe he discovered fire or something, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, that's the world's narrative. But here in the Genesis narrative, the Judeo-Christian worldview says that God has created man in his own image. And even though sin has affected that, look at the common grace of God here that's on display. As Adam's descendants are, are, are putting their creative abilities to use... And, and, and making the, the most of their environment and their skills and their gifts and that kind of thing, they're using technology, aren't they? That's what you see here in the earliest chapters of Genesis. All right, think about Noah and his creative abilities, for example. Just a couple chapters later, you get into Genesis chapter 6. And, and God tells Noah to build an ark, even lays out the specific dimensions of the ark, the materials of the ark, and look at Genesis 6, 14. God says, Noah, I want you to make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and outside with pitch. Kofair is the Hebrew word that's used there, but it refers to a particular type of substance that was used to sort of waterproof the ark, you know, to make it watertight. And so you see in verse 15, God says, this is how I want you to make it in terms of its length, its breadth, its height. Make a roof for the ark. 
Finish it to a cubit above. Set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. Why? Because God's going to send a flood over all of the earth in judgment because of sin and what man had done as far as uh, the spread of sin was concerned. Now, the point is, God tells Noah what he wants him to do, how he wants him to do it, what he wants him to use, and how he wants him to use it. But something that we tend to overlook is the fact that Noah had to put his skill to action and use his brain and use his hands and use the other means that he had at his disposal. So he takes the very things that God had given him to be a steward of and he uses it for a redemptive purpose. Because this is very much part of God's redemptive plan. He's going to start over with Noah and Noah's family. Now, obviously, we've come a long way from the ark and the earliest days of civilization. And for the most part, society was predominantly agrarian until you had the Enlightenment. The printing press in 1440 was a major, major uh, uh, advancement as far as technology is concerned. and Typeset and all this, that, and the other. So that gradually things began to change and began to be invented, uh, invented. And so there was this major explosion of technology and innovation that came in the 18th century with the Industrial Revolution. And machines were designed and different types of products and development started. And eventually that gives way to the Digital Revolution, which began in the late 1960s and 70s to where we are now with just sort of this proliferation of digital computers and digital record keeping and eventually cell phones. We've come a long way since the ark. <laughs> Some say, I don't know, I still feel like I just came off the ark, preacher, as far as all this technology is concerned. I, listen, it would absolutely shock everybody in the room if everybody who had a smartphone just held it up because I guarantee it probably be most of us. And even in a room full of you know, many of you who are much older than I am, a lot of you still have social media accounts, right? Because that's just that's the, that's the world we live in now. To where you basically have, you got digital natives. My daughter is a digital native, which means that she, she's, she's just grown up in a world around technology and smartphones and that kind of thing. It's all she's known. The youngest in the room, you, you're right there too. While the rest of us perhaps are digital immigrants, because you can look back at a point in time and you say, I can remember when, you know, remember the old rotary phone we used to have, you know? Now you don't even have landlines much anymore. Now some folks still do. And some folks say, well, I'm not a digital native. I'm not a digital immigrant. I'm a digital refugee. Again, I just want to be off the grid as far as all this stuff is concerned. Mm -hmm. But the point is, the advent of technology use goes all the way back to the earliest days of civilization. Now, technology's come a long way, and that kind of brings us to this issue of art artificial intelligence and its potential abilities. And so this is where we really need to think about what it means to be human from our working definition that we've, we've given to that over these past few weeks, what the Bible has to say about what it means to be human, made in the image of God, because this is very, very important. Years ago, Francis Schaeffer, he wrote a book called Escape from Reason. And he made this statement. He said, it's truly a wonderful thing that although man is twisted and corrupted and lost as a result of the fall, 
yet he is still man. He has become neither a machine, nor an animal, nor a plant. The marks of mannishness are still upon him. And then he mentions what he's referring to there. Love, rationality, longing for significance. This is the case even when his non-Christian system leads him to say that these things do not exist. It's these things which distinguish him from the animal and plant world and from the machine. Now, if you're familiar with any of Francis Schaeffer's works, you know that he was really a prophet in his own time. When he saw where secular society and culture was headed. And so, as we've seen throughout Scripture, we know that we are made unique in this sense, separate from anything else in the created order. We've been made in the image of God. Now, here's the issue. How does our humanity relate to technology and machines when now those machines are on an entirely new level than most of us have ever thought about before? And so let's think through uh, some of these, these definitions now, okay? Artificial intelligence. You say, well, what does that mean? You know, I'm hearing about it in the news. I'm reading about it in, you know, various articles and, and things that I've seen on social media. What's all the fuss about it? Well, here's just a simple definition. All right, it's non-biological intelligence involving a machine that's programmed to accomplish complex goals. And, and even artificial intelligence itself, it's just like technology is a wide subject. Well, so also is artificial intelligence. You've got basically uh, two categories, known as, uh, one known as general AI, which is basically uh, your digital assistant on your phone. Like, I've got to be quiet and say it really quiet here or my, my iPad's going to alert. Siri, you know what I'm talking about or Alexa, or whatever, depending on the device that you use. It's sort of command-oriented. You give it a particular command, and it again, search assistants uh, would fall into that category of general AI. And then now you have something that's known as generative AI, which is really a step beyond just giving, it, uh, you know, giving AI a particular command, like a search assistant. Now you have generative AI, uh, uh, things like chat GPT, I don't know if you're familiar with ChatGPT. I didn't know what ChatGPT was until just the last year or so. But ChatGPT has really become an issue in academia. On college campuses, we had a discussion with our pastors and with Dr. Curley uh, this past Monday. And, and, and so it's just in school. ChatGPT is an AI system where you can basically download a particular app or whatever form of it that you choose to use. And you can ask it to do certain things, and it functions with a, 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 a almost human-like intelligence. For example, if you want it to write you a term paper on technology, ChatGPT will write you a term paper on technology, and it almost appears as if this is a human being that has written this with quotes and an outline and all such as that. Well, some of y'all are sitting there thinking, man, love, I wish I had that when I was in school. But you see, here's the issue, because we're having to ask, what are the ethical implications of that, and where does the use of that really lead? Okay, so, so that's just, again, that's just sort of a 30,000-foot view of it. A second category would be AI superintelligence, 
which is not general, but it's super. This refers to that which is beyond human intelligence, way beyond. And much of this is still theoretical because some have even gone so far as to suggest that the next big advancement is, is the fine-tuning of AI as far as with research into how to successfully transfer human consciousness into a supercomputer in what's been referred to as transhumanism. And so what is that? Well, it's just this scientific philosophical movement that's advocating the use of current technology like genetic engineering, AI, all to augment human capabilities and improve the human condition. So that those, and again, most of these would be people who would not have the worldview that you and I have. This would be secular philosophers and some of the world's leading thinkers who would envision this future uh, that were basically, through the use of technology, we can improve our humanity, slow the aging process, or even eliminate it altogether. Achieve corresponding increases in human lifespans, uh, enhance uh, human cognitive and sensory capabilities and those kinds of things. And it even suggests that one day humans with augmented capabilities will eventually evolve to an enhanced species that transcends humanity altogether known as the post-human. Now folks, listen, if that doesn't just sort of cause a chill to go up and down your spine, that there are folks who are thinking that way, It all just goes to show that there are so many who are not operating from a biblical worldview as far as that is concerned. And so in that respect, here's where you and I, as as the disciples of Jesus, have a chance to be salt and light. Because you and I know that there is no amount of technology whatsoever that's going to undermine or thwart the purposes of Almighty God. Or is going to save us from the curse of sin. Because technology will never be man's savior. Man will never, ever have the capability to save himself and to give eternal life to himself. That only comes through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. And so, I don't have time to get into all of this. Our time is gone. The advantages of technology use. Don't hear me wrong when I, when I say that there are certain uh, disadvantages yes there are but man there are some advantages too and we could we could talk about some of the advantages that that even ai itself and some of the 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 ways that you know medicine and and the abilities of certain surgeries that ai has proven to be helpful and 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 really specific to be able to help doctors and surgeons with and so in that way there is a real gift here to where we can say thank you lord And we recognize that he's the giver of all good gifts and even the things that man designs that benefit and bless humanity. While at the same time, we can't ignore the disadvantages because because we understand that man's heart is twisted by sin. And as such, there are abuses associated with technology use. And some of the biggest issues here, the concerns, would have to do with digital surveillance. And, you know, what does AI, you know, the, the potential loss of jobs? I mean, it wasn't long ago you would go into a supermarket and, you know, go into Walmart or something, and you, had, you interacted with someone who, at the checkout line. Well, now, <laughs> there are three, 
you know, they've got 148 registers. They've got three actually run by people, while the rest of those are self-checkout. Which I don't know if we all kind of qualify now as employees of Walmart. Maybe we'll get a bonus this Christmas, but I don't know. But I mean, all of that just considered, it's just... There are some ethical considerations here as far as AI is concerned. What's it going to do as far as the job market? You think about the technology of the Internet and the way that there are many advantages associated with the Internet, but there also are major abuses and con artists and scammers who are preying upon the undetecting. We've had our own issue with that, even, you know, our staff here, you know, because I'll get an email, someone will say, uh, Pastor, that was a pretty weird email, are you sure, you don't need those gift cards, do you? I thought, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, and what it is, is just someone using email and using the internet and someone who's doing their research on our church website who finds out who our staff members are and then they come up with some type of an email address to try to impersonate one of us to try to solicit someone else and take advantage of someone else now where does that come from is technology the culprit is technology to be blamed for that or is it the human heart and the decisions that people make it's the sinful inclination of man's heart And you think about the proliferation of pornography and and how we are a a culture and society that's awash in confusion, much of which has been fed and fostered by indulgent, repetitive use of pornography, which is so readily available now via technological means. And someone says, well, is technology to blame for all that? No, it's the human heart, men and women. Jeremiah says that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And so the gospel tells me that I need a new heart. We need a heart transplant. And that's the issue as far as humanity is concerned. Now I want to show you Genesis chapter 11. And I'll I'll hurry with this. I want you to keep in mind these two stories in Genesis. The story of Noah and, and what God tells Noah to do. Noah wants you to take build the ark this way and then I want you to waterproof it with with pitch after the flood the earth begins to be repopulated you've got the episode of Babel the tower of Babel now look at this verse 1 of Genesis 11 the whole earth had one language and the same words and as people migrated from the east they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there and they said to one another Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. So in other words, let's let's take oven-baked bricks and let's build a city and let's build a tower. Let's put technology to use. Let's do something. They had brick for stone. And look at this, bitumen for mortar. That's a tar. That's not the same Hebrew word that is used as far as the pitch was concerned with the ark in Genesis 6. But the idea is, is basically the same. Uh, here you had some type of tar-like substance that is somehow manufactured and it's going to use for this particular use. Let's take brick and mortar and let's fuse them together. Let's take and build this city and this tower. And it's not an, a redemptive act on man's part, but it's a defiant act on man's part. And so what I want you to see is that Noah 
does something very different with the materials that God entrusts him with than do the builders of the Tower of Babel. Where Noah takes technology and his creative ability that God has wired him with and uses it in what is a redemptive act, here you have the builders of Babel who take the very same materials in many ways and the very same creative ability in many ways, but they use it in an act of defiance and rebellion. Now, folks, that's largely the story of our world today, is it not? As far as all of this technology is concerned, and people say, Pastor, what are the ethical considerations of of, of AI and, and social media? Should we as Christians engage in social media at all? Well, I'm ask you this question. Should we as Christians use bricks at all? Because the, the, the builders of Babel, they used brick and mortar in an act of defiance. So if you can use something as simple as a brick as an act of defiance against the God of heaven, you can use your phone as an act of defiance against the God of heaven. You can attempt to make a name for yourself through the way that you use your social media account. And you can use your social media to tear down other people. And slander those who are made in the image of God. That's no less of an act of defiance than what the builders of Babel are doing in Genesis chapter 11. Or, or we can take what God has given to us, all of the good things that God has given to us, under the direction and control and power of the Holy Spirit, and we can heed the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Now let me just kind of paraphrase that verse. Whether you use ChatGPT or not, or have a Facebook account or not, or Twitter or not, or watch Netflix or not, do all for the glory of God. And in that way, it really serves as a grid through which we view technology and our lives. Am I going to use it to glorify God and build up others? Or is it going to be a monument for myself? So the awareness then of technology use, I think that's really kind of where we shake out. We need a healthy awareness. Do some research. Look at the pros and the cons. But, 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 but more importantly, view everything through the lens of a biblical worldview. And think about how technology can be used for the spread of the gospel. you imagine what the Apostle Paul would have done if he had a Facebook account? <laughs> I guarantee you he probably would have wrote more than two letters to the church at Corinth. I can tell you that right now. Now think about what we might be able to do. You know, I get an email every morning. Every morning I get an email from the Joshua Project. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Joshua Project or not, but it's basically a study of unreached people groups around the world. And every, particular, every morning there's a particular people group that's described in some hard-to-reach place around the world. And, and, and these unreached peoples, by tribe, language, there's all this information about those people that are there in that email with a picture of someone from perhaps that particular tribe of people. And in a very specific way, that I can pray for that people group. Or whether or not they have access to the scriptures in their own language, or whether or not the Jesus video has been you know, translated in their, their language and dialect. 
That's just a simple way that technology is being used for the good of, of other people and ultimately for the glory of God. I bet you can think of a lot of other ways that you can use technology for the glory of God and for the betterment of people too. Would you stand with me tonight? I've included in your study notes tonight something that you can use in your own time just for reference sake. 30 principles, 30 principles straight from Scripture about how you and I can use technology and, and, and questions that perhaps we should ask, considerations that we should make before we engage in particular online activity or social media use and that kind of thing. In fact, this is uh, it's helpful. It comes from David Platt in one of his secret church, uh, uh, I don't know what you call it, secret church sessions that they did. And this was put together by the elders of the church, the pastors of the church where he's at in Virginia. Take that and use that, you know, and I think it's probably helpful. Research the, the uh, scripture reference that are given there. And I think it'll help us have a biblically informed understanding of how to use technology. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word. And, and Lord, we live in a digital age. But Lord, you saw fit in your wisdom that we live in this particular moment at this particular point in time. In your providence, you saw to it that we live in the year 2023 with all of its challenges, all of the technology that's now readily available. God, it's not something that we should fear. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And so, Lord, may we be biblically informed believers that view the world and view culture and view all of these issues through the lens of a biblical worldview. Lord, that we have opportunities to share our faith and lead people to Christ and make disciples and even use technology in ways, Lord, that would bring you glory and honor and that would build up and bless our fellow man. Father, we thank you for your gifts. You are the creator, and God, you've given us creative ability and capacity. And so, Lord, we don't worship ourselves or sing praises to ourselves, but, Lord, we magnify you, oh, beautiful creator that you are. We thank you for the gift, but, Lord, we rejoice in the giver of all good gifts. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Just be seated just for a few moments more.